10. Please be seated. You can turn in your Bible to Luke. We'll look at chapter 24, verses 44 to 53, and then also Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> the text is all conveniently printed for you on next page of the bulletin, um, so you don't have to flip around if you don't want to, but there are Bibles also available on the back table. And then let me say, next week we're going to start a new series. Um, we're going to go through the book of Jonah, and we're just going to go a chapter a week, so that's just four weeks in Jonah. Um, and as usual, when we uh, kind of change series, uh, we have these invitation cards that we print out, and now they're just generic ones, but, um, but you can pick some of those up on the the table, the book table out in the entryway, uh, they, they make good bookmarks. You can invite your friends with them. Um, but so next week, starting Jonah, this week, so it's the final sermon in our series on the life of Jesus Christ, which we started in Advent and, um, you know, just before Christmas time. And I'd like for this series to have the same kind of ending as the Gospels do. Um, The Gospels come to a close without a sense of finality. I don't know if you've noticed that when, when you're reading through the Gospels. They, they come to a close without uh, a sense, a real strong sense of finality. There's, um, the writing has to end somewhere, right? But it's not the end of the story. We get that picture clearly from the Gospels. The way that Luke closes his Gospel and then opens the book of Acts. It gives you a, a sense of completion. You get a closure. Uh, you get the completion, but without... Um, you know, without maybe the usual sorrow of an ending, right? Um, you know what that means, right? The sorrow of an ending. Uh, if you've read good fiction books where the author has created a captivating world with characters that you have come to love and you get to the end of the series of, a, uh, of good books and there's this sadness. You know, even if the ending is good and triumphant and happy, uh, there's still a sadness because the story's over. No more of that, right? We've got to move away from it now. Um, come back to real life. In the Gospels, though, there's a happy ending of a sort. There's a happy ending um, in the ascension of Jesus Christ, but it's an ending that has such amazing ramifications for the present and for the future that if you understand it, if you understand this ending of the Gospels, the, the ascension of Jesus Christ, it's just impossible to be sad about it. It's impossible to, to be sad about the close of the Gospels. Um, the risen Lord Jesus left this world and that would make you sad if you didn't understand the significance of his ascension. Right? Uh, but if you do understand his ascension, which he wants you to do, right? the scriptures are recorded there for your encouragement. He wants you to understand the ascension. If you do that, then you'll see that the good news, the gospel means good news, right? The good news of Jesus coming into the world, the good news of his living and dying for you, the good news of his resurrection from the dead, all the good news about him, it... Um, it sort of blossoms in the ascension. It's amplified. It's made everlasting by what happens in the ascension. Um, so like the Gospels, in this series, hopefully we're ending on a high note. It's one that never ends. It just keeps getting better. Right. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll read from Luke and from Acts. Father, we do need your help as we come to consider your word. Um, our experience of it, whether we've been uh, Christians for a little while or Christians for a long time, um, or even if we're not Christians, our experience with the Word is very confusing 
And uh, we realize, if we have been Christians for a long time, that we, um, we keep being surprised by your word. And we pray that uh, the surprise, if there is any this morning, would be a pleasant one, that you would remind us of that which we already knew, yet make it deeper and more meaningful to us. We pray that this good news about Jesus Christ would truly uh, take root in our hearts and renew our minds through your Holy Spirit's work in us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And then from the beginning of Acts, it's kind of the retelling, maybe amplification of this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, there's way more good news here. That's a long couple passages there that Luke wrote. You know, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Um, There's way more good news here than we could possibly talk about today, even if we hit on all different points during the sermon discussion later. Uh, there's too much going on in this passage to, to hit it all. But, um, but let's start at the end with the last verses from the reading of Acts 1, where it says, While the disciples were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, these are angels, right, um, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus 
who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So um, their behavior is familiar to us if you've read through the Gospels. Uh, It's just the disciples, just as we've come to know them, perfectly representative of all of us in their confusion, right? And in their disbelief, maybe. Uh, Jesus, who's their great teacher, he's their friend, he's their master. He had taken them on a roller coaster over the last few years, which has got especially crazy in the last few weeks. Um, he was killed on the cross, and then he rose from the dead, and he appeared to them bodily and taught them. He opened the scriptures to them. He opened their minds to understand all the scriptures, everything that was written about him through the Old Testament. And when they were just starting to grasp it with their feeble understanding, with their just weak faith, right, um, hoping that now, finally, this resurrected Messiah, the one who's conquered death itself, um, might institute his kingdom and deliver national Israel away from uh, Roman oppression, Roman occupation, just when that was all starting to, you know, that hope was flourishing in their hearts, that he leaves. He leaves. They say, Jesus, it's time, right? It's time to restore the kingdom to Israel. Nope. See ya. (laughs) Like, what? What? Um, Yeah, that's confusing. And, And like usual... Uh, with that confusion comes the strong potential for serious depression. Right? Um, if you don't understand that it, if it's confusing to you, it's likely to make you very sad what is just happening here. The disciples didn't understand what Jesus was doing, even though he had told them clearly how many times. We've seen it through the Gospels. He's told them clearly what he was doing. Um, so their first thought was that they were just being abandoned. Standing there dumbfounded, looking into heaven. He's gone. He's left us, left us on our own. Oh, we wish he wouldn't have done that. What are we going to do? You know, um, if you're a Christian, you've probably felt like that at some point in your life, right? That, uh, that God is far away from you, that Jesus is inaccessible because he's not here, because you can't see him. Uh, he's, he's not here bodily. He's in heaven. And so you feel that distance and, um, Thinking that and believing that and feeling that apparent distance is enough to make you sad at the very least, if not hopeless, right? You're feeling abandoned. Um, but what do the angels say? They, they say that this Jesus, this one, will come in the same way. This Jesus, this Jesus that you know, the very same Jesus... And so, uh, they're teaching us something about the ascension here. Um, Jesus Christ, in his ascension, in his going away from us bodily, didn't change. He didn't change. I don't know if you've thought about that much. He still is. He's the very same Jesus that we've come to know through the Gospels. He still is. Um, only in heaven. Right? And one day, he'll return. This same Jesus will return in the same way, with clouds of glory, which implies that even now, he is. He is. And who is he? You know, who is this one that we've come to know through the Gospels? Who's he been all along since his conception by the Holy Spirit, since his birth of the Virgin Mary? He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. That's his name. That's his Nature. He's got the two natures, the divine and the human nature. He is 
Emmanuel. He is God with us. Matthew records Jesus telling the disciples at the end of his gospel, uh, right before the ascension. The ascension is implied in Matthew. Um, He doesn't uh, write about it directly, but the last words he has Jesus saying, close out his gospel, is, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is to say, I am with you always until I return. I am with you until I return. Um, And this is very hard for us to wrestle with, but basically we should get from this that Jesus, his departure into heaven, his ascension into heaven is not best understood as his going away from us. It's not best understood as his going away, as his abandoning of us. It's true that bodily, he's no longer in this world. He's no longer to be found anywhere in the universe. He is in heaven bodily. I don't fully understand it, so I can't perfectly describe it, and maybe we can speculate more about it in our sermon discussion, but his going away from this world ultimately, because of who he is, because he's God with us, because of who he is, and because of where he went, that he's not just in some other place in this space-time continuum, in this universe, in this part of God's creation. Because of who he is and where he went, his going away, his ascension, is really more like him drawing near to us, to be with us. The ascension didn't remove Jesus' lordship. It didn't remove him from us as our prophet and our priest and our king. It didn't remove his presence from us. The the ascension universalized Jesus for us, his lordship and his presence. The ascension universalized him for us. Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, that person is that person in heaven, which is actually better than him being here bodily with us. That's actually better. Um, If he's here bodily, then he can only be in one place at a time. Um, That's where he says, when, when he appears to the disciples and Mary comes and clings to him and he says, Mary, don't cling to me. I have to go to my father. I have to go to heaven, right? That's not because if she touches him or holds him that she's going to disintegrate or something bad because he, at other times he says, here, come touch me, right? See, it's not that touching and encountering Jesus is bad in his physical form. It's that uh, this clinginess, this trying to hold him back, don't leave us, don't go away, be here with me right now, you in your body, just be here with me. Um, that's not as good as him going away to his father. That's not as good as him ascending bodily into heaven because uh, if he he doesn't ascend, he's only in one place at a time. But if Jesus is there beyond our space and time, maybe in a way we can't understand, but he is there beyond our space and time, then he can truly be present to all of us and he can be who he is. He can be God with us, for all of us. He is the true God. He's the eternal Son of God, and He is the new, true, royal man. The divine and human natures are now united forever in His person, and that has been universalized in His ascension into heaven. 
Tim Keller uh, has a great sermon on the ascension from Acts chapter 1, and he likens the ascension to a detonator. Right, a bomb has a detonator. A bomb is kind of useless without the detonator. Um, but the conception of Christ, the birth of the baptism by which he unites himself to us and pledges himself to us, the temptation of Christ and his overcoming the devil, the, the faithfulness of Christ, the life and death and resurrection of Christ, they were all, in a sense, the crafting of this beautiful bomb, not the kind of destructive, um, chaotic bomb of death that uh, we're, we're used to in this world, but a bomb that makes all things new. Right, a bomb of love and life and peace and righteousness, and that bomb would go undetonated in the universe. It wouldn't have the cosmic effects that it's supposed to have if Jesus stayed in one spot, in one point in time, in this world. He, in a sense, he detonated the gospel bomb by going into heaven. And because he ascended into heaven, we can know that all this good news about him that we've uh, read about in the Gospels that we've talked about in this series on his life and death and resurrection. All this good news has been exploded into every square inch of all of God's reality. Um, that's what Paul means when he writes in Ephesians 4, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things, right? If we just imagine the ascension as Jesus going away from us, somewhere else, just not here, if that's all we think of the ascension, well, going far away and becoming inaccessible doesn't usually lead to filling all things, right? Um, his going far above all the heavens, all the way to the right hand of God himself, all the way to, in a sense, eternity in God's presence, means the filling of all things with his presence, with the good news about who he is and what he's done for us. And now, this same Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, he has all authority in heaven and on earth, right? He's the king of glory that we read about in Psalm 24. Who is the king of glory? Who's the one who can ascend the holy mountain and dwell in God's presence, the blameless one? Who is that one? It's the Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. He's not some different person now that he's in heaven. It's hard for us to kind of process going away from this world and going into heaven to be seated at God's right hand and not think that somehow Jesus was fundamentally changed in that process, but he, he was not. He's the same person now that he's in heaven. He's the Lord who became a servant. He was always the Lord as the Son of God, he became a servant for you. He died for you for love. He's the greatest servant of all. It's that same Jesus. He's the greatest warrior of all. He defeated the devil and death itself for you out of his love for you. It's that same Jesus. He's not only the perfect human being. He's that for you. In God's presence. Immediately. Which means that you, as a human through him are united to God forever. It says in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It goes on to say, think about that, because that grace is going to encourage you. 
that's good news because he is in heaven. He's not just in one spot at one time in this world. It's good news because he's in heaven on your behalf so that God's presence is accessible to you through him, through your union with him. In Christ, God's presence is your home. It's your true inheritance. It says in Colossians 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. At the beginning of all things, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day, he rested from all of his works, which is a picture of him enjoying and ruling over everything that he's made. The implicit uh, thing there at the, at, in Genesis 1 and 2 is that he's invited his humanity, he's invited humanity to enter that rest with him, to sit down with him and enjoy everything with him and rest and rule all o- uh, over all things with him. And now finally we've done that because Jesus has done that for us. He's entered the Sabbath rest for us and he's the first of us to do it. He's our representative and he's the first of us to sit down with God and rule and rest and enjoy everything that he's done. Garrett Dawson has a really excellent book um, on the ascension which if you can spend 50 bucks on it (laughs) um, I I recommend that you do so. It's very encouraging. Actually reading that was uh, part of what put into my head the idea of naming a church Ascension. Um, Garrett Dawson says, what matters is that we hold together the reality that Jesus remains enfleshed in a glorified, transformed body with the reality that where he is in heaven is a realm beyond our perceptions, beyond our understanding of space and time, yet in the presence of God who is as near as our next breath. The ascension, therefore, represents the departure of the incarnate Son of God back to the place where God is, taking human nature where it has never gone before. Um, You all know what Obi-Wan Kenobi said when when he was fighting Darth Vader on the the Death Star in the beginning of the first of the movies that was made, the Star Wars movies. What did Obi-Wan Kenobi say? Um, He said, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And and that's because he knew that when Darth Vader struck him, his body would return to the force and he'd be immaterial. He wouldn't be bound by the confines of his physical body anymore, right? That's kind of, it's a little bit like that, right? You know, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you you could possibly imagine. Jesus would, would say, maybe with a few alterations, if you strike me down and I rise again from the dead and I ascend into heaven, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Um, the ascension universalized his human lordship and his human presence. God rules over everything. Yes, it's always been true. It always will be true that God rules over everything, but since the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, who is God with us, it's been true that there's a man who rules over the universe, and he's our man. There's a man who rules over the universe, and he's our guy. So his going away wasn't the end of the story, not by a long shot. His going away was the cosmic explosion of the gospel into every square inch of reality. So this time of his being in heaven is not a lonely time for us. It is not 
a lonely time, a time only of nostalgic longing. There is some of that. There is nostalgia for the good old days when he was here with us, and there is some longing for the days yet to come, the true golden age when he returns. But this, this is the time of his reign. This is the time of his patience. This is the time of his mercy and grace and his mission of love. And that's what he means it to be when he gathers his disciples and tells them, you're going to be my witnesses. They ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? He's like, you don't even get it. I'm going to rule over the universe, and the kingdom's going to come through you because you're going to be my witnesses. He tells them that they will be his witnesses and that they will receive power from on high, who's the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is power from on high. Every time in uh, Luke and Acts when it says that the disciples were they were praying and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what they do is they proclaim the gospel next. Right? They tell not just the life and death of Christ and not just his resurrection, but his ascension. Um, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, when this power from on high grips them and moves them. Uh, And the Spirit is power from on high because he's the promise from the Father, right? Um, Because he's the guarantee of our resurrection life, as we've looked at in past weeks. Because he's the assurance of God's love he's poured out into our hearts, as it says in Romans 5. And because uh, the Spirit is sent from our King, he's sent from Jesus Christ for our union with him. So now, having him, having the Spirit, having this heavenly divine power, not just with us, but in us, there's nothing stopping us from bearing witness to Jesus in this world. There's nothing stopping us. I was thinking a little bit uh, this week about why I shy away from evangelism. I'm prone to do that just as well as you are, and I know there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, We all have our reasons for balking at uh, evangelism, doing evangelism, bearing uh, witness and testifying to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But I think there's one major reason that uh, maybe you can relate to. It's just I'm afraid. I'm afraid of rejection and I'm afraid of suffering. Maybe it's only imaginary rejection and suffering, but I'm afraid of it. And the power from on high that we have from Jesus Christ is this, is that rejection can't hurt me. It can't hurt you. Even persecution, even death can't hurt you. My friend Jesus, he is the lion and the lamb. He's the slain and risen one. He's the king of glory. And even if someone kills me for my testimony in him, it'll be just like, hopefully, hopefully it'll feel like Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Because a spiritual vision of Jesus Christ in heaven is what sustains you. Your friend, your teacher, your master, your savior, he's the king of heaven and earth. And that, that shouldn't make you mean when you're doing evangelism, right? Uh, like someone petty imagines himself to be important because of someone he knows. That's meant to thrill you and comfort you and make you happy and make you bold, to boast in him. The Jesus that we know from the Gospels, who's an amazing person, he's a beautiful person. That Jesus, the Son of God, who for love became one of us, 
who took our, our sins, our impurities, our weaknesses to himself. He bore them in his body under the wrath of God for us. He rose triumphant from the very grave. This same Jesus is in charge of everything, and he fills all things. And so, kids, he's in charge of your classrooms. You know, he's in charge of your whole school, believe it or not. Uh, and he's good. He's working all things together for your good, even if you're not quite sure how. And parents, he's in charge of your families. He's in charge of your families. Spouses, he's in charge of your marriages. Workers, he's in charge of your workplaces. And he is present with us in his joy and in his peace and in his holiness and in his humble love, his service. He is present with us, enabling us to live with those same things in our relationships. Our great teacher, he's the true prophet of God, right? He's, he's called this uh, historically, traditionally, theologically, the Westminster Catechism uh, says that he fulfills the, uh, the position of our redeemer in three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Um, he's, he's our great teacher and he's in heaven. You might think it would be better to, um, to be there while he was speaking the Beatitudes as they were recorded in the scriptures, uh, sitting down in the grass on the hill, listening to him. Uh, but he reveals God to us. He makes us to know. He makes us to know his word by sending his spirit into our hearts and transforming our minds. He makes that happen. He writes his law on our hearts because he's in heaven. And this is much better than him just standing on a hill teaching. Our friend, the great high priest, stands in heaven on our behalf. He has not only been the great sacrifice which once for all wiped away all of our sins, but as a priest and as our friend, he has carried our humanity into God's very presence where he, it says, always lives to intercede for us. And his presence there guarantees our place there, our place in heaven, with uh, his Father being our Father. And God, his Father, always listens to him. He always listens to Christ's pleadings for us. And Jesus has mediated God's presence to us. He sent his very Spirit to live in us. He has brought God and man together. He is the great high priest. He is our true friend. And our master, the true king, rules over all things for our sake. We know his commitment to us because he's laid his life down for us. What king does that? We know his commitment to us, and now we know his power, which surpasses the heavens to bring about all of his good promises to us. Everything good he's ever said, everything good recorded in the scriptures is coming to us because he's our king. And that power resides in us. His power resides in us as Jesus has baptized us. He's anointed us with his very spirit as sons and daughters of the Most High King. And that's why the disciples, this is why um, after he went into heaven, it says they worshipped him and they returned with great joy, continually blessing God, living for his gospel, even dying for his gospel. Because of the ascension, our prophet and priest and king, our teacher and friend and master, Jesus Christ has become more powerful than we could possibly imagine. 
Nothing better has ever happened, and one day, um, better will happen. <laughs> Nothing better has ever happened, and one day, this same Jesus will return from heaven with clouds of glory, and things will get even better. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it is good news indeed um, who Jesus is and the fact that he is who he is right now in heaven. We're prone to despair because of the, um, the way that we sense your distance from us, but we pray that you would overcome that by your spirit who dwells in us. We pray that you would encourage us with the truth of your gospel that Jesus Christ, the God-man, uh, is more powerful than we could possibly imagine. We pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on him and to, uh, to seek him and to, to seek to plumb the depths of your love for us, the height and width and depth of your love for us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would uh, not stop now, but that you would um, grant us even a greater sense of your presence with us and your love for us as we approach this table. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.